Welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. My name's Erin and I'm a hypnobirthing and antenatal instructor, birth activist and all-round birth geek. In this podcast, I chat to experts in the field of pregnancy and birth, debunking myths around birth, diving into the research around maternity care and exploring what is it that means you're more likely to have a positive birthing experience. If you enjoy this podcast, do feel free to buy me a coffee and fund my caffeine habit. Link to my buy me a coffee page is in the podcast info. Enjoy this episode. Morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good <laughs> middle of the night, wherever you where you might be. But guess where I am today? Where am I? You're in my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm with Aaron Fung, um, creator of Better Birth UK, and I'm in Shoreham, the village of Shoreham. The village of Shoreham in Kent. In Kent. In the UK. In the UK. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> on the on the planet Earth. And. Um, I'm just part of my part of my adventure. I just decided that uh, Britain had opened up and I was on the East Coast and I'm waiting to get into Washington, D.C. to do my um, reteach breach on May 13th. And I thought, geez, you know, I haven't been to England in a while. And so I jumped out of play and I came to visit some friends of mine. I got to see my goddaughter and I contacted Aaron and Aaron was kind enough to uh, clear a day for me. So here I am. I took the train this morning down to Shoreham and we're going to just chat for a little bit. Um, Bliss would join us, except that it's four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's a bit so, early for her. Yeah, we couldn't get, we couldn't wake her up, but we did discuss it. So Bliss and I will comment on this afterwards. Uh, we'll insert this into one of our up- upcoming podcasts. So hi, Erin. Hi. It's so great to be with you. It's, it's amazing to meet you in person. I have watched you uh, for years now, since I've been on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I just want people who don't know you to follow you at Better Birth UK, but also you are prolific and you are, you are a mother of three. I, I was fortunate. I got to meet your children. Did, yeah. They just went off to have noodles, <laughs> but I, um, I, I don't know how you do what you do because your posts are always artistic. Some, they're very creative. Uh, they have to take some time. So how do you do it? Um, I do everything on my phone. I very rarely switch my computer on. Um, lots of my posts and lots of this, the content that I produce is done when I'm breastfeeding my son <laughs> at night. Um, lots of grab moments in between cooking dinner and doing school runs and waiting in the car. Like most of my stuff is just done quickly on my phone. And it's the animation stuff that you do? In, in, in... All of it is done, yeah, on my phone. Apps on my through phone. an app or through Inst- Instagram can do that? Or do you um, do it on your own art and then you transfer to Instagram so I mean some of some of my artwork is done on on my iPad using Procreate um I've got an Apple Pencil um although my daughter my oldest daughter has commandeered my iPad and my Apple Pencil so I've lost that at the moment um I use Canva um app to create my Instagram posts um but yeah it's all it's pretty much all done on my phone to be honest and kind of grabbed moments in between being a mum that's great because because <laughs> I'm clearly not that creative and that's why I have people that help me do that help me do most of what I do I mean clearly I, I post some simple things and simple comments but you lately have been on a on a, on a run about some very important issues mm-hmm. including um, uh, induction mm-hmm. and also episiotomy mm-hmm. 
Um, was there, were there other things that you've been? Um, this week I, I, I focused on sweeps. Um, yeah, on cervical sweeps. Yeah. So let's let so let's talk about that because Bliss and I recently did a podcast. We called it uh, "Tears, Repairs, and or Pushing Tears and Repairs" or mm -hmm. something like that. And uh, uh, but we didn't really get into in, induction in that way. Yeah. And one of the big points you made on your post was that uh, sweeping is an intervention. It is an it is a form of induction. Mm -hmm. You've got some blowback, from, a little bit of blowback from that, but yeah. tell us, tell us why that this is a big issue for you, and what, and, and overall, how you, as a mom of three, found yourself doing this and mm -hmm. doing it so prolifically. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the the the, the 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 issue that I have with sweeps mainly is that they are seen as part of the course. You're pregnant, you go past forty weeks, you go for a sweep. Um, and I think they're seen as quite an innocuous procedure to have done. Um, and I feel like the risks are not really very clearly explained of having a sweep. Um, and they, they do have risks. Every, we know every medical intervention has, has risks. Yeah, and I think very few things are clearly explained. Yeah, so true, very, very true. So uh, people listen to me know that. Yeah. I think that the uh, informed consent model doesn't really exist in mm -hmm. the medical world. It's, at best skewed informed consent and and certainly it's more of course to informed consent absolutely don't do this and this will this these bad things will happen mm -hmm. right yeah yeah because i think a lot of conversations that happen when we're talking to midwives and obstetricians one of, one of the things that i always make make a point of telling my clients is when you're asking about risks you need to ask for the risks of doing the thing they're recommending as well as the risks of not doing the thing they're recommending because I think quite often people are told the risks of not doing the intervention and the risks of the intervention themselves are left out yes um so this was the point that I was trying to make with 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 sweeps is that they do have risks yes they're small risks although arguably uh, so just today someone commented on, on my post saying that um it's it's misleading and that the, the risk of infection with a sweep is very, very small. Is it genuinely though? Because I know lots of people get infections. Where did the infection come from? Even if we have sterile gloves, the second that glove touches the vulva and the, the, all of the surrounding skin, it can pick up bacteria, which is gonna get pushed up the vagina and through the cervix because we've had a sleep. Um, so it's just, it's just, I'm just very passionate about people making informed decisions. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's a sweep or induction or any other medical intervention. I think the risk is small uh, of getting an infection, but a couple of things that I would say very in, in uh, conjunction with what you're saying is mm -hmm. that first of all, uh, it's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And the question, the big question is, why are you doing a sweep? Mm -hmm. Are you doing a sweep because a woman is one minute past 40 weeks, mm -hmm. or are you doing a sweep because a woman is developing hypertension or preeclampsia or severe cholestasis mm -hmm. or something where, you know, trying to expedite the delivery has a medical, true medical indication. Mm -hmm. um, because other than that, there's no, there's really no reason to be doing a vaginal exam at all. Mm -hmm. So the idea that doctors, and this is the pattern of practice that I had for many years, was from 36, 37 weeks on, every week when they came in for their prenatal visit, they got a vaginal exam. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the prenatal uh, records that most physicians use, there's a category, there's a column for cervi uh, cervix dilation, effacement, station. 
So it, obviously they put it there, not for looks, they put it there because they expected people to fill it out mm -hmm. and they'll fill it out and we'd have to do a vaginal exam, which we all determined and pretty much is completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about induction for actual reasons for induction, and you can you have a favorable cervix, then a sweep makes some sense. Mm -hmm. But it also does carry with the risk of accidentally rupturing membranes. Yeah. Um, you are pushing bacteria and things up inside the cervix when normally there's a downstream flow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, so it, it you know it's a risk benefit thing, and you need to talk to people about what's the risk of doing it versus what's the benefit. And if there's only the only benefit is is that you're two days overdue and want to get your baby out or I'm going on vacation in three days and I want to get your baby out, or you're tired of being pregnant and you want to get your baby out, those, you know, those, for some women, they may choose, if well-informed, that that's what a risk mm -hmm. they want to take or a, or a, they want that procedure done. But otherwise, you're right. You're yeah. right. It's not something that should be just blown off as, uh, as it's, it's just, it's a nothing. Yeah. And, and the even more controversial in my mind is the fact that in the UK, the NICE guidelines are changing and everyone's going to be offered a sweep at 39 weeks. So people aren't even on their due date yet and they're being offered sweeps. And multiple midwives will say that a sweep is not a form of induction. And that, and my client who's approaching 43 weeks, for example, she had a midwife appointment and had an argument with her midwife over the fact that a sweep is not a form of induction. Of course it is. Yeah, what's the point of doing it? Otherwise? Well, exactly. You know, you're trying to you're trying to induce labor before you've spontaneously gone gone into labor. It is a form of induction, um, and it does carry risks. So I think it's it's just about making sure that people are informed. And if you want to have a sweep, that's absolutely fine. I'm not saying don't do it, but at least know the risk and the benefit so that you can make that informed decision. Um, yeah, you said you said the nice guidelines. Now I know it stands for I know NICE stands for mm -hmm. something. Tell, tell my American listeners what it stands for. It, it's the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. There you go. Yeah. Right. People are not going to know what I'm going to say right now. It's anytime you have a government bureaucracy that sounds, that gives itself a very good sounding name, mm -hmm. beware. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the like the Affordable Care Act was, mm -hmm. was anything but affordable, anything about caring. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but NICE does put out guidelines and I even quote some of them in one of my presentations. Uh, because I think the Brits are ahead of America as far as um, being rational and reasonable. The Royal College OBGYN guidelines for breach, for that matter, are, are much better. Their, their green top guidelines are mm -hmm. much better than ours. Mm -hmm. um, so how, how is it that you got into this? How is it? I mean, you're also a doula. I'm not. Oh, you're not. No, but, not. You give, but, you give, not. but you do a lot of online teaching. I do. I, I'm a hypnobirthing instructor. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, I do want my, to be a bad. doula. I do want to be a doula. Um, I, I, that's one of my bucket list um, wishes. Right. I, I mixed it up. But you're yeah. a hypnobirthing instructor. I'm a hypnobirthing right? instructor. Um, I so obviously I've given birth three times, three very very different births. My first birth was uh, was pretty negative, to be perfectly honest, because I did what most people do and didn't inform myself. I didn't educate myself. Um, I just thought I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my care in the hands of everybody in the hospital because they know what they're doing. Um, I was offered a, an induction at 41 weeks um, because it was quiet and they had beds. No other medical reason. Other yeah, that's that. like the that's listed in the uh, Williams Obstetrics of reasons for induction. Hospital <laughs> quiet, beds available. Yeah, right. Um, so I agreed, 
and and then I didn't I didn't have any realistic expectation of what happens when you have an induction because nobody explained it to me beforehand I didn't know what the risks were um it happened and I and it was terrible um I had no coping techniques it was extremely painful um it cascaded to the point where I had an episiotomy I had a very very near miss with forceps um I think I had pethidine had an epidural um couldn't breastfeed afterwards had a whole year of postnatal depression afterwards it was it was very very difficult to cope with um so my second birth I was like I'm not taking the same mistake yeah. I'm going to educate myself got myself a doula a fantastic doula um and um thank god I did because I had prolonged rupture of membranes they wanted to induce me again um I said no I have no signs of infection um, How did you know at that time to say no? Had you done research between baby one and baby two? My doula two? gave me the nice guidelines at the time, which have changed since. Um, and she said, it's, you know, you don't have to be induced if you don't want to be. It's your decision. Um, if you have signs of infection, obviously, then we need to, you know, think about what to do. But I had no signs of infection. I didn't want an antibiotics prophylactically because, like I said before we started recording, I'm, I'm positive that's why my daughter, my oldest daughter, has so many, you know, intestinal issues and allergies and eczema and so on um so the midwife went and got a doctor and the doctor came over and said do you want a dead baby now if my doula had not been with me I think I probably would have caved and agreed to an induction that I absolutely did not want but because I had that emotional support there she wasn't telling me what to do but she gave me that confidence to say no I'm, I don't want an induction I went home and I don't want a dead baby either and I don't, of course I don't want a dead baby yeah of course <laughs> did, did, did they did the doctor actually use those words yes yeah he actually said to me so it's not just an baby. american thing people it's uh it's a worldwide mm -hmm. uh flaw yeah yeah um it's a nice word by the way yeah flaw. and and and, it, and it's it's uh, i'm not unique in in having that experience no so i've had no, clients I mean, say that they've been told exactly the same thing. almost every person i know that's gotten into birth work uh has a story similar to yours either yeah. For themselves or their sister or mm -hmm. family member yeah or something like that where they where they've been mistreated mm -hmm. or ill-treated or ill ill-informed mm -hmm. uh, or coerced mm -hmm. um and then your third baby was at home third or? baby was at home my husband suggested the home birth which which is nice um and it's interesting because i i i, I got my maternity notes recently and read through all of them um and all three of my babies were classed as small gestational age. Um, I, I was higher risk because I've had previous group B strep infections. I was a geriatric mother with my last son because I was 38. Um, and nobody batted an eyelid when I asked for a home birth. And I know for a fact from clients who have had multiple risk factors that they are told absolutely categorically, no, we cannot support your home birth. So I really feel like it is a lottery who you get at the time. To, to to advocate for you for your home birth but mine was no problem do you think that that's because it's england no 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 oh. because i've got i've had plenty of clients in the uk have been told no you're too old or no you you know you, whatever risk factors your baby's too big or well none of those three things that you said are actually really risk factors and i would be willing to bet you can i ask you how much your baby's weight um my first was six pounds my second was six pound eight and Ty was seven pound seven, I think. Right, small for gestational age. Uh -huh. Right. Anybody listening? <laughs> First of all, how tall are you? Five foot one. Okay. 
So here we have a woman who's five foot one who had babies that were six to seven pounds. And she was told at some point by some idiot that her babies were small for mm -hmm. gestational age. Mm -hmm. yep. And in, in many places of the world, because the baby was small for gestational age, she would have gotten unnecessary uh, fetal testing. She would have been induced for no reason. The baby would have ended up possibly going to the NICU for a while. Mm -hmm. And you would have had a seven pound baby in the NICU for iatrogenic reasons and not for anything else. And no one would have said, gee, you know what? We're sorry, yeah. we were wrong. Yeah, it didn't happen. I'm convinced, I mean, I. so my eldest, she was the smallest six pounds. She was born at just after 41 weeks. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. She had some growing to do still. Um, yeah, I know. I get this all the time that that I will see people in consultation and they'll be told that my baby, I was told my baby was IUGR. And you look at the records and the baby was in like the ninth percentile or it's mm -hmm. a second, one of the twins is in the ninth percentile. Well, first of all, the percentiles that are used are used for singletons. Mm -hmm. Second of all, twin babies are generally slightly smaller. Mm -hmm. Third, IUGR has nothing to do with baby's size. IUGR has to do with the baby falling off of its own growth curve. Yeah. So when somebody does one scan on you and your baby's in the ninth percentile, they say your baby's IUGR, run away from these people mm -hmm. because they actually don't know what it means and they don't know the data. Mm -hmm. And they're just throwing things out there because fear is what they feel mm -hmm. and they don't want to be responsible should one in a million babies die on their watch so they'll do this for all babies they'll they'll label them and then they'll throw these you know you don't want the dead baby do mm -hmm. you card at you and and thus enhance it the cascade of interventions has already started long before that mm -hmm. um but this will then accelerate it yeah right yeah totally um yeah so after having my my third, um, and I used hypnobirthing with my with my second and my third um, babies, I thought I I need people to know this stuff because it's transformative for me. It was transformative. Um, so I've worked. I had worked fifteen years in corporate marketing. I quit uh, quit my job in Canary Wharf. Um, so marketing, you have a marketing background. Marketing oh, there background. you go. Yeah. Okay, so that's a little bit better. Yeah. That yeah. explains it a little bit yeah. more. How? Because how? marvelous and how efficient and how interesting your, your posts are well it's nice i get to use my my marketing background for mm -hmm. stuff that i actually care about <laughs> yeah for um, and, and to market your your the issues like you mm -hmm. said market yourself but also the issues that yeah. really matter to you you're not selling ladies underwear yeah oh well i was selling i was selling uh, legal tools to lawyers <laughs> it was my yeah you know this is, this is a I, this is not meant to be a mean story or anything like that but mm -hmm. i had a cousin who um I love dearly, but his his job years and years ago is he was a traveling salesman selling Hanes underwear. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, like, okay, so you get up and motivated every day to go talk to department stores and, and salespeople in stores to get your stock put in things and you're selling underwear. And mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I know somebody has to do these jobs, yeah. but I think it's so much better when you have a a job that motivates you or, or yeah. uh, an issue that motivates you so it's just it, it's so much we're lucky fulfilling it, we are very lucky because i feel like i'm doing so much good compared to making a big corporate money which wasn't fulfilling at all um so what would you like to see i mean we're gonna we're doing a short uh, visit today obviously you and i are going to spend some time together this afternoon with one of your midwife friends mm -hmm. kemi, kemi right yeah yep. mm -hmm. Kemi Johnson. Yes. Right. Yep. So I will give an update on Kemi Johnson's story 
in a later podcast. But um, what, where would you like to see? What would you like to see happen? And do you think that it will happen in your lifetime? Oh, that's a really tough question. I would like to see a, a societal shift in uh, our attitude towards birth, um, so that people are better informed, so that we don't fear birth. Um, I want to see more people feeling like they can choose home birth as an option because they're not terrified of the prospect and understanding that actually it is a really feasible option. Um, and just, just to have more communication, I think, so that people are, are making those informed decisions. Because I think a lot of people are ending up with birth trauma because they are not informed of the decisions that they're, they're not even making the decisions when it comes to birth. They're being led down a certain route and then ending up traumatized. They abdicate their responsibility or their decision-making for birth, like, yeah. like in no other aspect of their life they ever would. Mm-hmm. No one, if, if someone told them they had to buy a Toyota, they would say, no, oh, what the hell? I'm not buying a Toyota unless mm-hmm. they like Toyotas, but, mm-hmm. or, but, or if they told them they had to wear blue clothing, mm-hmm. No one's going to necessarily do that, but they tell them, oh, you have to be induced. You have to go to the hospital to have your baby. Your baby has to have these shots. Your baby has to. And they say, OK, OK. But I, I feel like it's almost a, a unique mindset when it comes to birth, because a lot of us, when it comes to healthcare in general, yes, we do kind of defer to doctors and, and healthcare professionals. But if a, if a GP writes me a prescription for antibiotics, I wouldn't think twice to say, you know what, I'll just wait. I'm not going to get that. I'm going to take the antibiotics. I want to see if I can, you know, get better on my own. No one would bat an eyelid with that. But when it comes to birth, if, if, if somebody tells you you should do something, we just, we just do it without questioning it. Um, and I don't really understand why, but I, I would love to see that change. Well, the motivation, I think, is fear, because when somebody just says to you what they said to you, mm-hmm. that's the end of it, because no mother... A mother would sacrifice everything about her own body and her mm-hmm. own life for her child. Yeah. So it, it is very coercive um, and manipulative mm-hmm. for, for people to do that. Mm-hmm. So the question more is why do people who practice medicine in the medical model feel that that's an okay thing to do? Or do they, are they even aware that they're actually mm-hmm. doing it? And that, my, part of me feels that these are not bad people they're good people. So there's something about the process or the system they're stuck in Mm. that causes them to say things that maybe they have a bit of cognitive dissonance about because they can't, you know, they can't purposely believe they're saying something awful, but if they thought about what they're saying or even how they say things Mm. or even rolling their eyes, when you Mm. say to them, you know, I think I'm going to hire a doula. Mm -hmm. And they go, Oh boy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I still remember in labor and delivery when I used to work there, when a woman woman came in with her birth plan, the nurses at the desk would roll their eyes mm-hmm. and they would say, oh, well, she's going to end up with an epidural on a section mm-hmm. just, just because she had a birth plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you come in with that attitude, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy is that, is that you know, you, you, you're constantly being, when you're laboring and you want a natural birth plan, you're, and, and you're moaning, um, the nurse's natural instinct is to say, honey, why, why don't you take some fentanyl? Why don't you get an epidural? Yeah. Here's some nitrous oxide. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, rather than encouraging them to and supporting them in their plan, mm-hmm. they're supporting them in a plan that makes the nurses or the physician more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's their comfort they're actually more concerned about yeah. or their anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's all projected onto the mm-hmm. client, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, me too. I would like to see, um, 
I'm being realistic here. I would I said by the year 2030, I'd like to see 5% of births in the United States be at home. Mm -hmm. What what is the rate of home birth in, in England it's overall? Low. It's low. Um, it's gotta be higher than America though, because you have midwives who can, even though I think there's a shortage right now and some of the systems are closing down. Yeah. Um, but um, you do have midwives, especially have, multips have... are encouraged to be at home, right? Well, no, That's I mean, I they, should, they should be encouraged. Um, I don't think um, always proactively midwives are, are saying at booking appointment, have you considered home birth? I'd be lying if I if I thought that happened. It should do. I mean, from my from my local hospital, I'm I'm responsible for publishing the, the, the obstetric scorecard and the statistics. I make it into an infographic and I post it up. Um, home birth is low. Um, two percent. Wow, I think my listeners will be shocked to hear that. It's low. It's yeah. really low, and it's not because it's not an option. Because it is an option. I just I think part of it is maybe that people aren't actively encouraged to choose home birth when they are a, a, a perfectly feasible candidate for it. And I think part of it is fear. I, th I think there is an overriding opinion that home birth is really really dangerous. And I know. I mean, every time I post on on Instagram or TikTok. Um, and I post about home birth, more so on TikTok actually, I get tons and tons of comments from people saying, but what about what if your baby dies? Or what about if you know you have a, a postpartum hemorrhage? Or what about this and what about that? And it's very hard to, to explain to these people in such a limited character space that but you're more likely to end up with all of these outcomes in hospital. Yeah. You, you reduce the chances of these things happening by giving birth at home. Right. But people just, and even, even they, when I provide they, the statistics and the research, people don't believe you. Because they can't wrap their brain about it because they've been conditioned to believe the hospital is the only place to give birth. And it's just, and obviously, since there's an operating room and doctors and pediatricians there, then, then if there is a problem, that that's the safest place mm -hmm. to give. But they don't realize that the problems are generated by the whole model by which you're cared for in the hospital. And that women went from a 5% C-section rate 50 years ago to a 30 something percent mm -hmm. C-section right now, mm -hmm. that NICU admissions are, are up. You know, we won't even get into the fact that there's all the, the profit motive behind the mm -hmm. certain things that they do, mm -hmm. but NICU admissions are up. Now, if hospitals are so much safer and women are so much better off in a hospital, these NICUs are not filled with babies that were born at home. Their NICUs are filled with babies that were born in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Many of them were seven and eight pounds. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not filled with little, you know, little one pounders. Yeah. I mean, they. And they do miracles with those people and I mean with those babies and those babies should be grateful that mm -hmm. there's hospitals around for that sort of thing. But the average normal healthy person, you know, you would never go to the hospital for health. Yeah. So if you automatically go there, your brain, your brain is already being guided into the fact that there's not healthier because why would I be in the hospital mm -hmm. unless I'm not healthy? Yeah. So that's part of it. And then the anecdotes and the and the media and the propaganda that's been pushed out there. And then you hear other women who've been put through that or your mothers who've been put through that system. Part of them is the cognitive dissonance of them not wanting to admit that maybe that what they were told was wrong mm -hmm. because that's hard for people to deal with. Yeah. So then they project onto you the mm -hmm. same things that they did. Mm -hmm. There's so many reasons for it. Mm -hmm. But for those of us in the home birth world, I mean, you just have to look at the stories. The stories are are filled and filled with filled with beautiful stories. Some of them, are, you know, yeah, I tore, yeah, I hemorrhaged, but you know what? My midwife was there and she did handle everything, and it wouldn't have been any different. Mm -hmm. Is there less tearing and less hemorrhaging in a hospital birth? No, of course not. I think, and I think the, the a really important difference is 
people who have a home birth, even if they need to transfer to hospital because they have complications or because they need a little bit extra help, emotionally and you know their mental health is far more positive because they feel like, well, actually, no, I genuinely needed that help. I needed to transfer. And they feel okay about that a lot of the time versus people who start off in hospital, end up with a cascade and end up really traumatized by it. So true. So true. I couldn't say it better. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, okay. So our missions are the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to continue to stay in touch and we're going to continue to uh, support each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have some things in the works uh, that we would like to see happen in the next few years in the States. It's the time is right now. I think people have learned to be a, and learned appropriately to be suspicious of the medical uh, medical world. Um, if they haven't, then they really haven't been paying attention. Mm-hmm. And there's not much people we can do for those people. Mm-hmm. But for everybody else, um, we are constantly being lied to, funnel down a path that's more convenient for them, funnel down a path that makes them more revenue. Uh, when it all comes down to it, follow the money, follow the anxiety, follow the fear. Um, these are not reasons why we should be choosing the path of our birth. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. It has been. Yeah, We. I mean, I just want people to know that Aaron and I are going to, we've already been talking for an hour before we started and we're going to be talking for about three more hours afterwards, but we wanted, I wanted to just get something. First of all, I just love listening to her. I, everybody knows I love a British accent. So <laughs> I could, I'm just having a time of my life here in England, listening to people talk. Um, but also I am in awe of the work that you do uh, and that all the birth workers on Instagram. I mean, I, I am not a huge social media person. I just, I, I follow hockey and I follow, uh, you know, some nature, nature things. And I follow a few people that I love dearly. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm living my life. And right now it's the greatest thing because I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm able to do this six months or whatever long it's going to be. Maybe it'll be longer where I'm not doing primary care, mm-hmm. but I'm still advocating for what we're doing. I'm still going around teaching reach. I've got six or seven seminars coming up in the next month or two. Mm-hmm around around the country i'm hoping that they'll open up and other countries will open up like your country did god bless the queen and (laughs) whoever decided to make your country free it's so beautiful to see people walking around not wearing masks uh um restaurants theaters you know i took my daughter uh, two months ago to see hamilton in, in downtown los angeles at a time where everything was already getting open and you still had to be vaccinated and wear a mask to get into the the show and here i'm going to go to a play tonight i think and you don't have to do any of those sorts of things it's completely been all those restrictions have been removed very very brilliant as the british like to say it's very brilliant (laughs) is that a british phrase saying brilliant Brilliant. yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's brilliant using it in that terminology i think yeah say something british no (laughs) uh thank you you're so welcome thank you okay (laughs) <laughs> anything else you want to add this is that we can add it in later no. so, okay all right so guys thanks so um just edit end it sort of there and um i will 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 probably be fitting this into a podcast with bliss and uh emily did you get some of that early stuff that she talked about the those websites that she can you can do artwork and stuff i don't know if you use that sort of thing but <laughs> It would be fun. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take extra time to do it. All right. So let's 
The Better Birth podcast and all of its content is for educational and informational purposes only. You should consult your midwife or your doctor for anything in relation to your own pregnancy and birth. The opinions and the views of the guests on the Better Birth podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Better Birth or Erin Fung.